One guy's a three-time Pro Bowler, the other's a three-time Wisconsin Sports Writer of the Year, and together, they're just two guys talking pack. This is the Coon Podcast with Jason Wildey and John Coon. It is the John Coon Podcast, episode 14, maybe. Co-starring Jason (laughs) Wildey. Three-time uh, I, sports journalist of the year in the state of Wisconsin's northeast corner. Uh, yeah, it was the whole state, but uh, we had done a pretty good job the last three weeks. We hadn't even mentioned me again. I was really enjoying that. So thanks for you're welcome. What do you like? There. Do you like icon? Do you like legend? That's what I always like would ask you when you'd name? be on the show. Uh, folk hero was another one of my favorites for you. You you're started that, didn't I you? Did. I, I did. I did. I'll take. I'll own that. You started that. You are. okay? So you always asked me, "What did folk hero mean to me?" If you're the one who started it, what did folk hero mean to you? That you were incredibly beloved. That your legend was significant. Did my legend supersede my? Yeah, you weren't nearly as good as your legend. And it's just getting better every year. You're, you know, you're, you're that much better uh, when we look back on they, your career. Well, they, I mean, that's what they say. I mean, okay, so 200,000 people attended the Ice Bowl game, which the stadium only had 60. You know what I mean? It's right. one of those things. Sure. It's you just, as time goes by, you know, wine gets better. Yeah, my, uh, my two signature moments with you are coining that, you know, icon, folk hero, legend thing, and then... That I used that gif of you tripping up over the wires. See, I always, thought it was, I always thought it was Pam Oliver who started the folk hero thing. So next time you I think see so? Pam, next time I see Pam, I'll have to let her know that you took credit for it. She'll be disappointed. Yeah, I'm not, I don't. I don't know her very well. As long as it's not uh, the gal that does uh, Sunday Night Football, we're good because she and I don't get along. Uh, Why not? Michelle Tafoya and I had a had a thing. What happened? We had a. So this was before you were a player, and we're going to get to plenty of John Kuhn stuff. This is not the Jason Wilde podcast. Well, but, I would no, but this is a nugget. So uh, the Packers are playing during the 2004 season. So you're off running for millions of yards at Shippensburg. Okay, still. I got you. Packers start the season one and four. They end up rallying and making the playoffs. Great comeback. One of the, like six teams to have ever come back from a one and four start. So toward the end of the season, they're on Monday Night Football. And Michelle Tafoy is doing the sideline, and in the pregame, I mean, they're playing the Saint, uh, they're playing the Rams, St. Louis Rams. During the pregame, it's like three or four games left in the season, and they they're on a roll, and they've certainly improved from their one and four start. But she gets up there and she holds a copy of like the Green Bay Press Gazette and the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, and says, "In Green Bay, where the media normally cheers for the home team." Even here, it's gotten negative or something to that effect. Now, you know me. Um, I try to be unbiased. Now, well, I mean, actually, people think you're too nice. They Correct. Think they, they don't think you're fair and balanced at all. They just think you're Homer. Yeah. So uh, the idea that that you would present us as a bunch of rubes that cheer for the home team, it, it's a bad look for us in terms of a media group. So I was really mad. And so... And and I'm not, as you well know, I'm a bit of a grudge holder. I'd like to see really mad, um, Jason. Uh, yeah, I, you never made me that mad, so you don't have to worry about it. But um, So then, as luck would have it, like this really bothered me, but I never had cause to run into her again. A year later, we're on a Delta flight, and we're both, she lives in Minneapolis. I'm changing planes in Minneapolis on my way back from a road game. We're on the same flight from, it was a West Coast game that she had done. And we both got the first class bump. So as we're deplaning, 
I introduce myself to her and I say, Michelle, look, you know, I, I know this is going to sound a little crazy because it was a year ago, but I, I really would appreciate it if, you know, if you ever have to talk about the Green Bay Media Corps again, that you don't say that we cheer for the home team. That makes us look like small town rubes and we're we're as tough on our team that we cover as the new york and philly and all those guys are when things aren't going well we're critical and and it makes us look bad when you say something like that on television she says and instead of apologizing she looks me right in the eye and says oh give me a break your job's much easier when the team's winning and then i knew that i wasn't going to get through it where i said well i i just wanted to say that to you and so now i've held a grudge ever since i refused to talk to her so so basically you you got you got, she, she like you got nose to nose. Mutombo you me. got nose to nose with Michelle Tafoya, and she put you in your place. She was wrong. She was still wrong. Just she couldn't admit it. I can admit what I'm wrong. I I, I do it all Has, the time. Do, do you? I do. Oh, sure. Okay. When was the last time you were wrong? Uh, it's been a while. See, I, now I understand why you don't tell the stories and you try and get other people to tell the stories. Partway through that, I was where you're like, why going? did we do this? this <laughs> why are we doing this? All right, so let's start where any good playoff podcast should start, and that is with the Dallas Cowboys. Oh yeah, your former coach Mike McCarthy has been introduced as the new head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Yes, he has. You know, he said a few things that uh, he said, obviously because he was in Dallas, that it's the iconic franchise in all of professional sports and the best job and everything else, which I'm sure a few of you guys raised your eyebrows a bit. But, you know, he's playing to his audience. Yeah. What did you think of him getting that opportunity? Well, I think first and foremost, it is an outstanding opportunity. Um, Coaching opportunities don't come around a whole lot where there is a roster in place to win immediately. One would say Matt LaFleur got that opportunity this year, uh, coming here and getting a Hall of Fame quarterback right from Jump Street. And that's that's unusual to say the least. Now, Coach Mike's going down there on arguably one of the best rosters, one to fifty-three, that there is in the NFL. And I know people are out there listening. You are crazy. They went eight and eight, but this is a common thought about that Cowboys roster, not just by myself, not just by us journalists and and media types, but by people very uh, versed, scouts around the NFL, coaches around the NFL, say that roster is stacked. So I think it's an incredible opportunity to start. Number two, I'm really glad uh, that he got the opportunity because he is a head coach with an incredible track record. And as you look around the NFL and you see the trend of teams going to the younger coach, um, the unproven coach, the guy who's been a coordinator maybe one or two years, maybe the guy making the leap from college, you did wonder, um, did he, with the way he left here, did he take it, uh, was the what was the look so bad being before the season was over right. and then the stories that came out after the season was the look so bad that he wouldn't get another shot so check those two boxes he's going to a good spot and he got that second opportunity so not only was i happy i think this is a great opportunity for him uh they'll have to figure out what they're doing with their quarterback who is now a free agent coming up in march but i assume they'll at the very least franchise tag him yeah you gotta wonder i mean they got a wide receiver and a quarterback they got a bunch of money already on the books so you you got to anticipate can they handle signing one and franchise tagging the other? Because then they can keep them both and maybe figure out ways to work it down the road. But you're right. Um, two big cogs in their wheel 
um, right there with the quarterback and the wide receiver. But, man, they got that offensive line, and they got Ezekiel Elliott, and they got some really talented guys on defense. Um, Michael Gallup looks like he could be a superstar in the making. So, I mean, they they have a team right there. Um, One more thing about Mike. Because it is a playoff week, and we do want to talk about Packers Seahawks predominantly on the John Kuhn podcast here. But when you look at um, the other hirings so far, as of this recording, Ron Rivera goes to Washington. Uh, Matt Rule gets uh, just mind-boggling amount of money to leave Baylor. I mean, $62 million plus a $6 million buyout from Baylor. Seven years, $68 million out of pocket. That is a ton of money. I will say, though, his press conference gets he won the press anybody, anybody who likes football, loves football, maybe is just slightly entertained by football, <laughs> they were feeling that. And then the... New York Giants hired Joe Judge, who would coach special teams and wide receivers under Bill Belichick in New England. And as of this recording, the Cleveland job remains open. Um, If you're looking at that list of those four jobs that have been filled, Ron Rivera has taken a team to a Super Bowl, hasn't won it. Mike McCarthy really has the most impressive resume out of that group. It'll be interesting to see, as we did with this year's group, looking at Matt LaFleur compared to all these other first-time head coaches, it'll be interesting to see how Mike McCarthy fares compared to that that class of jobs. Yeah, and you know, I think it's funny because here we are again, a calendar year away from last time when uh, people were asking, and I believe you even had a Willie and Tausch uh, Twitter poll asking what's the better coaching job, <laughs> Cleveland or Green Bay, and you look at Cleveland once again, looking out at the rest of the league like, what did we do wrong here? Right. So um, it's it's really interesting to see the coaching carousel right now. They're just going to sit back and wait, I guess, and, and, try and try and pluck and find somebody. Right. I mean, there are other good coaches out there that are still in the playoffs that, they, that they're waiting for. Um, but, yeah, I – what's not to like about Mike when you're comparing him to the the other situations that are going on? And that poll, by the way, got like 7,000 votes, and it was 54-46 in favor of the Packers job, but that's a four-point swing, and it's 50-50. Yeah, and and most of those people are Packer fans voting on that poll because they follow you, Um, but I would say most of that's because you hyped up the Cleveland job, and you guys did such a great job dogging the Packer job at the end of last year. That's, I mean... They listen to you, my uh, uh, Jason. I you they listen in. to you. Yeah, well, they should. Um, all right, so it's playoff week. You came in here to my lovely office at Lambeau Field, and I was talking to one of your old teammates, Charles Woodson, on the phone. Um, we were talking about the 2007 playoff game here against Seattle, and going into that game, you guys, that team had a bye. It was the number two seed. You had a week off. You had a bunch of young guys on your team. You were one of the guys that actually had playoff experience, having been on a Super Bowl team already. This team doesn't have a ton of it either. There's about half the roster, more than half, that has not played in a playoff game. What do you remember from your playoff experiences, not only for yourself personally, but as a leader on those teams, getting guys ready that had no idea what they were going into? Well, you know, it's great because we asked that question to Aaron Rodgers uh, just yesterday, and and he explained that there is a settling in process that happens. Your first playoff game, 
uh, maybe your first couple playoff games, especially until you make a run in the playoffs, you you do feel the pressure. The games are faster. Um, the focus is higher. Um, the anticipation is larger. So you do need to settle into the game. And I go back to the 2007 uh, divisional round game against Seattle that we had here when we started down 14 nothing right. at home. That took a settling in process for us before we ended up winning the game 42 you to 20. Ran out of the gym, right? Yeah, but it, we, we had to settle in. And we had a young team then. They have a young team now. And Aaron Aaron recalled his first starting experience, which I thought was rather interesting, um, the wild card game in Arizona, right. where on the first drive, possibly the first pass of the game, he threw an interception and we yep. found ourselves down 7 nothing uh, rather quickly. And he recalled that and said, I was pressing. I thought I needed to make a play. And I was trying to do something bigger and better than what I just needed to do, which was just do what I did for the entire season. So that's, that is something that Aaron can impress on these younger guys on the, on the roster. You said 31 out of the 52 guys on this roster. Why is there 52? Well, there's only 52 right now. So oh, We're waiting we'll, for Raven we'll, Green to be we'll added. See, we'll see by the end of the week <laughs> if Raven Green gets added. But he doesn't have playoff experience, no, so that'll make it 32 out of 53 guys. So there's a lot of imp- uh, impressing that needs to go on as uh, the lessons need to be learned quickly. Did uh, Aaron say that in the group at his locker yesterday, or did he say that in one of your one-on-ones with him? He said it in in the group uh, with the locker, and and it was it, that was to me the best bite that he gave the whole day because it really did show reflection. It shows yeah. how much these mean to him, and he has been nostalgic about. Um, 18 or he's been a part of 18 playoff games but he's only started i think 16 16, of them and uh so so he's now thinking about it as well and and kind of a follow-up to that is he mentions about how when you're having a ton of success like we did the eight straight playoff appearances you don't think about it as much but when you when you know distance makes the heart grow fonder they say and uh two-year separation from the playoffs has made him hungrier has made him more uh, introspective as it comes to him and this team and the playoff situation. So um, I, I believe he will have sent that message around to to the guys in the locker room. So that was a great, insightful, interesting quote from him. But it was also a lot longer than the one that you elicited from him in your one-on-one on Packers.com about being the worst 13-3 and team. And, and Tausch and I joked, we gave you a lot of credit for it because we think highly of your work. Um, it it's probably not the new R E L A X or not the <laughs> run the table. You but could make it that if we you could. Would like you to. could. Yeah. I don't care, John. Yeah, and and I want a cut of the royalties on the t shirts and yeah. the poster boards and all that. But I don't y- know. You're, if I can... <laughs> you're savvier than I was because I was I was there for R E L A X and I didn't capitalize. <laughs> I made no money off that at all. Um, what do you, what do you where do you think he's at? You you've been friends with him for a really long time. Uh, he made a comment yesterday about uh, how he thinks every day about winning a second Super Bowl. Um, you know him as well as anybody on the planet. Where do you think he's at in terms of this playoff? Well, I believe everything that he says, everything that he says, until he says he doesn't care what people think about his play, because. I believe this is Aaron Rodgers' chance, much like um, people discussed the Tom Brady-Bill Belichick thing. And 
very similar to Mike's opportunity down in Dallas. This is a chance for them to differentiate themselves from one another. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers has had a ton of success with Mike McCarthy. So is Mike McCarthy with Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre. This is an opportunity now for both of them to show, hey, I'm the great player that I am or I'm the great coach that I am. And they want that recognition. That's a part of their legacy. They want to show that they can do it you know, on their own a little bit. And I have loved what Aaron has done this year. Other people have not. Right. And I think he is not really taken kindly to that, even though he says he doesn't care. Um, The way that he, and I dubbed him a game manager early in the season and took a lot of heat for it, but he has done a fantastic job of protecting the football, using that defense that they have, the run game that they have, and the players that he has around him. We talked, there aren't many like dynamic weapons on the offensive side. Right. You got Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams, Alan Lazard's making some plays, but this isn't the team of 2011 that we've talked about. Right. And he has found a way to take this team and use its strengths and not and stay away from disaster and win these games. And I just go and I look as far as 13 and 3 divisional game at home against the Seattle team that I look and I watch these two teams on film and I think Seattle coming into here I like Green Bay in this game. I think right. they I I mean Vegas made them the favorite and I don't think that's by surprise. I think they are the better team. So when you talk about the way Aaron has played, you know, game manager obviously has a negative connotation and he bristles at it. But when you hear him but talk But he's kind of accepted it right, the last few I weeks would agree. and and he's done it without actually saying the words game Correct. manager yes but great he, point but he says you know i've making managed, the right um, checks yes making the right checks getting us in the right plays i don't mind winning ugly all the way to the super bowl like he's he's talked about it without yeah. directly talking he just about won't use it. the words he won't use the words and that's okay and that's okay i support him in that and uh but yeah it I just, I'm telling you, he's come up at the biggest times this year. When they've needed a throw, he's made it. Has he missed a few? He's missed a few. You know, the timing's been off. He said that on some plays, on on quite a few plays. But he, uh, when when it's nut-crunching time, I can say it because it's a podcast, he has come (laughs) through. The pass to Alan Lazard, a pass to Aaron Jones. Right, changing the play to the screen. Yeah. To set up the game winner. Exactly. That's a huge play. Yeah, and people don't see that. They see that as a four-yard pass from Aaron Rodgers. Think about some of the throw. And the other thing is it's interesting to look at his numbers, John, because in the first half of the season, his numbers are fantastic. Now, obviously, the last few games, they won five games in a row to finish the season without him putting up big numbers. And that plays into, again, if he has to make five or six Aaron Rodgers throws as opposed to 35 or 36 Aaron Rodgers throws. That's the difference between this team needing him to carry the team and not. Yeah, I'll say this. They went to Minnesota. They they dominated physically on both fronts. But I thought Aaron played fantastic in that game. And he threw an interception where he didn't see the safety. But um, 41 passes, 30 of them were within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. And probably, if we clocked it, less than two seconds in time that he actually right. held the ball. So he locked in that game. He understood what it was going to take. It wasn't going to take 400 yards passing from him to win the football game. It was going to take 200. 20 yards passing and making sure that the guys got the ball quickly and they stayed out of third and long and they were able to move the ball. So you were in the 2007 Snow Globe game here. You were in the Fail Mary game. You were in the 2014 NFC Championship game meltdown. 
aside from Bears, Vikings, Lions, because they're divisional teams, is this rivalry-wise as good as it gets for a team that's not in your division with Seattle? I absolutely believe so. And there was a point where San Francisco and us doled it out for about two or three years. But even then, we were still battling with Seattle a little bit. Um, But this this one, we we have some nasty losses to them. And uh, we have a couple good victories. Uh, The home team generally seems to get the better of, of the opponent. And I just can't help but remember the way it feels when you walk off the field in a fail Mary game and you watch their coach and their receiver and their quarterback say, yeah, we caught it. We caught it. That was a touchdown. Right. You know, running to, around me, to me, that was one of the biggest insults, insults I've ever faced um, was them just not acknowledging that the refs gave them the game. Uh, later in the 2014 game, walking off the field that we dominated for three and a half quarters um, to lose that game and have them trash-talking us all the way into the locker room. That's another one uh, that that I really felt personally. They've played now seven games in the last six years. Right. This is, th- this is a rivalry. Let's not get this twisted. This is an absolute rivalry, and the teams do not like each other. Now, a lot of different casts down right. there. There's, on our side and theirs, the Legion of Boom is no longer the Legion of Boom. I mean, Bobby Wagner's there, but that's it. Right. And uh, they're 26th in the league in defense, which is not Legion of Boom-ish. So they are a different team. We are a different team. Um, Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson are still there, and Mason Crosby's still here. But right. other than that, it's, it's pretty much different right. cast. A couple of offensive linemen. But, man, for the fans, for the alumni, for everybody else, this, this is a big game. Do we have to worry about you you know, dropping your headset and your microphone on the Packers Radio Network and running out there? It's going to be tough. I joked with a couple people today that if I see something, I'm going to put the microphone behind my back and just start screaming <laughs> out keys from the sideline. Watch the reverse. They're bringing the reverse. Fake. Fake field goal, watch, fake field watch goal. Watch the fake. Um, so let's talk about the game specifically then. You do as much preparation as anybody in advance of these games. So what are you seeing on film from uh, Russell Wilson, from their offense, and then we'll talk a little bit about their defense too. You know, you know, Russell Wilson really is the key, right? I mean, right. he's he's the one X factor in this game other than – turnovers and big special teams or trick plays well, what that, can, I, that can swing a game. Let me interrupt you for a second, and we'll get back to this, because here's the, I apparently have been dubbed like Chicken Little for having this opinion. But the guy that makes me nervous is the guy that, you know, three or four weeks ago was in the parking lot of Oakland Alameda County Coliseum. Oh, you are crazy. Yeah, it, you're crazy. So you're nuts. It, you're nuts, Marshawn man. Lynch is not someone because he'd been on football for so listen, long. Listen, Beast Mode has ten rushing touchdowns in the playoffs. That's eighth in NFL history. I get that. And yeah, if we, if, that's what I'm saying. If we He's if come they, up big if, in big if, games, if they get to the one, two, or the three, yeah, I mean, watch out for Marshawn. Okay? okay, unless it's the Super Bowl and then they're going to throw. But nice. To me, this is all about Russell Wilson, and their line is just deteriorated yeah, right now. Four starters did not practice yesterday. Now, they're suspecting that all four could possibly play in this game, which would be great for them, but if they even play, how effective are they? Fair. I feel our defensive front has come on tremendously at the end of the year, so I really like that matchup. But I go back to Russell Wilson. He would have probably been the league MVP this year if not for the unprecedented season of Lamar Jackson. And it's Boy, a, but his numbers the last seven games are – he's a little bit like Rodgers. Like his – like 
Russell Wilson's numbers aren't great either the last half of the season. Yeah, and, and we talk about Rodgers' cast, but look at his cast, though. Right. Okay, he lost Chris Carson. And that they were they were a top five uh, ranked run offense in the league. They lost right. him, and and they haven't been. They have all kinds of injuries right now. You see two weapons around him. You see DK Metcalf, who has just emerged, and you see Tyler Lockett. Now I get a little bit weary of DK Metcalf. Is he? Is this the point in time where he has some incredible run and turns into like a Julio Jones ish type? Uh, player now like Jordy in with, 2010 with, with with yeah does he have some sort of playoff emergence that we didn't anticipate we know how physically uh, gifted he is but he's not the best route runner no. um, Tyler Lockett's the best route runner that's the guy we're really gonna have to focus on and then just make sure DK Metcalf doesn't get behind us I just honestly Russell Wilson is that guy that you got to circle um, I talked to a couple defensive coaches this week and they and they said man if we could have trained our guys with chickens this week and brought them out on the field and had them try and catch a chicken. That's <laughs> what it's like trying to catch Russell Wilson, and we would just hope they could catch one by the end of the week. Wow, and, right out uh, of that Rocky movie. Now, I will say this. He has been sacked 48 times. He has. He's been sacked 48 times. But the problem with sacking Russell Wilson on first down and making it second 25 is now you got to sack him again on second down because he could run around and make a play right. then. It, to me... It all revolves around Russell Wilson, and I just I, I don't see any other way you can spin it. So it's almost the opposite of what the Packers it's are. It's the antithesis. It, you know, uh, the Packers are, and and I hate to say this, but you got to prepare for the cast of of the Packers: Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, the defense, the run game, and then for Seattle, it's like we just have to stop Russell Wilson. You just got to stop Russell Wilson. He's everything for them, and and he has been everything for them uh, for the whole year, especially since Chris Carson went out. All right. So what do you you mentioned the defense, and we talked a little bit about how they're not the Legion of Boom. So many of those guys that you went up against when they were playing at that level are no longer there. Bobby Wagner has to be, you know, looking around the locker room, going, "Where did everybody go?" Right? Because he was that. And he, Bobby Wagner's the... been having his struggles this year too. Right? He's let up more passing yards this season to guys he's covered than any linebacker since 2013 and he's nicked up as well he's nick so so he's been straight he's still an enforcer in the run game so you know they'll have that on their hands but uh they only had 28 sacks on the year to put that in the packers had 41 sacks this year 28 sacks isn't a lot no you know they're not pressuring the quarterback very well and uh they're not doing a whole lot of other things well either 26th ranked overall uh Clowney is obviously a guy who um, has some history of being very a very good player. Um, had a sack in the Philadelphia game on uh, last Sunday. Yeah, but so. that's Josh McCown, right? You know, they had seven sacks last game. They had a qu- they had a quarter of the sacks they had in the season <laughs> in one game. When I go back, that's Josh McCown. The Eagles' offensive line's banged up. Josh was holding the ball because it was a one-score game. He didn't want to take any chances and just totally eliminate a chance of them coming back. So that I mean, that's why they were getting home last week. And one thing about Jadavion Clowney, he does a good job of playing uh, to, to to guys that he's better than. But when he plays good tackles. 
he he can disappear at times. And you've got two good ones. We have two on this great ones. Roster. Um, anything else that jumps out at you about their defense? Because here's the thing. And and well, they have 32 takeaways this year, so that's been their identity. When they're 26th ranked in the league in yards, but you have those 32 turnovers, that's how you make it up. That's kind of the identity the Packers had early in the year. Remember? Yeah. Give up a whole lot of yards, but get the turnovers. Now that scared the living daylights out of all of us because we thought what happens when that doesn't happen and that's why i go back to say if we don't turn the ball over we're going to be in a good spot and you look at at the turnover differential on the season there were a couple of games where the packers lost the turnover battle and still found a way to win the game but when they didn't take the ball away at all that was when they were in the biggest trouble all three of their losses they failed to generate a takeaway now i don't think necessarily russell wilson's going to throw four picks like he did during that 2014 NFC Championship game. But they're going to have to get – and and look, I understand. Every game, turnover battles key to it, right? That, that doesn't matter if it's a week four game or the Super Bowl. But this defense has at least reached a point where it's not only It's turnovers. not just about turnovers. You saw that when they went into Minnesota. I mean, they can they can shut a team down um, when it comes down to it. They they lost that turnover battle uh, three to one because right. of the uh, late interception by uh, Kirk Cousins. And I just the way the Packers have been playing defense the last five weeks, the way the Seattle offensive line is banged up, I just. I don't see it happening. I just don't see enough weapons around Russell Wilson. Now, don't get me wrong. This game is still Russell Wilson versus Aaron Rodgers. The difference, Aaron Rodgers can distribute to a heck of a lot more people right now than Russell Wilson can. But just to finish up on that turnover thing, I mean, you lived it, right? I mean, you were the better team in 2011, but not on that day against the Giants because you guys turned the ball over, which was completely uncharacteristic of you that season. Yeah, absolutely. But that was a Giants defense that was was a mean defense. They were they were a very good ball hawking defense. And uh, you know, I, I guess I'm kind of being redundant here. They do have 32 turnovers, but I just I don't know who on that defense is really going to cause all the turnovers. Uh, Quandre Diggs in the back end. He has one interception against the Packers in like six or seven tries, and that was against Brett Hundley. Um, it's it's I just like I just like the matchup. I mean, Packers hold the football and uh, run the football. I I think they win the game. We use too much time on Michelle Tafoya. Like we have this, you know, it is the John. Coon I podcast. love the story. Now we've got to go talk to assistant coaches. Well, I want to know. I feel just, like I squandered your time. Well, it, well no, I want to know. Uh, I want to know next week. You know, if you and Michelle really got into it, who would have won that battle? Because you admit, are you suggesting well, that I I'm, could get beaten up by just about anybody? Well, you. I asked you a few weeks ago if there was one guy because we saw the skirmish down in the locker room. If there was one media guy you could win against, and one media guy you're absolutely not facing. You dodged the question of who you would win against. I'm a lover, not a fighter. Um, I would say this. Uh, It's interesting during playoff time because as much as we kind of joke about how players are realizing the intensity ratchets up, there's like a little bit of that undercurrent in like the media court too. It's unbelievable. They start rolling. The wave today was about three times what it's been all right. season, and I thought, oh, I remember this mess. This is this is going to get this is going to get ugly in here. Well, <laughs> it is only going to get bigger from here. If the Packers win on Sunday against Seattle, it'll be NFC Championship game time. We'll see if they are headed to San Francisco or if the. 
Vikings somehow end up coming here. That's what I wanted to ask you. Would you rather go to San Francisco or have to win a third game against a hot Vikings team here at Lambeau? Well, from again, as you've learned and you're a year in the media now, media starts with me. I love San Francisco. It's one of my favorite places on earth to visit. But I like sleeping in my own bed, so I want. I would love for the Vikings to pull that off. Here's the, here's the second question: If San Francisco does win, when do the Packers fly out to San Francisco? And all the, I mean, think of all the angles that go with that. I mean, Matt Lafleur admitting he got out coached. Shanahan, right? Uh, I can remember before the game in the regular season and seeing how important that was to he and his family coaching against his brother and and uh and, and Shanahan you know the guy who's, who brought him along and taught him so right. much it was it was almost it was almost too much to take in right and I just wonder if the second time around if, if there might be just a little bit less of that and a little bit more just x's and o's let's go they they've they've obviously got a win Sunday to get there but I also remember a 2014 team that went into Seattle at the beginning of the season and played, and no offense to Mike McCarthy, but you guys played scared, and I think he admitted that. Like, remember, he didn't even throw it to the one side of the field that Richard Sherman was on. Yeah, I, I, we weren't scared, but that we were scared of Richard Sherman. Sure, and, and then he, we threw at him in the NFC Championship game, and he picked it off first pass. Ben was offsides. I went back and watched that film. He wasn't offsides. I'm really, I'm disappointed to say it, but he wasn't. Really, if they'd have thrown the flag. It would have worked, but they didn't, and I can't really. Roger swears to this I day. I cannot definitively confirm. That did you look at the all twenty-two? I did, I did. Oh man, well that ruins my narrative from two thousand fourteen. The game would have been completely different if they threw that flag. All right, that's the John Coon podcast for this week. We will be back. We'll try and make up for our time next week. We'll, we'll go a little longer next week. Does that work for you? I love Especially your, if it's in Don't sell yourself short. Channel. I love that story with you and Michelle. You're, you're just a nice friend. That's it for the John Coon podcast. Thanks for listening.